Hello, uh, thanks for joining us again on Investigation Bible. I'm your host, Bill Kaufman. Um, we've been doing this now for a few weeks. We're going to continue with this for some time, have no real plans of uh, stopping. And so we'll see how far it takes us. Uh, Investigation Bible is the study of the Bible through the eyes of a retired law enforcement officer. That's me. I'm a retired uh, cop. And um, in studying the things you have to do to be a cop, you have to think things all the way through. You have to study statutes. You have to figure out what the laws say. Um, you, you have to really do all kinds of stuff like that because you may arrest somebody for a crime that you know they've committed, but then you actually have to write it in a report that gets sent to the district attorney's office. You have to charge them with the correct crime uh, that's statutory because it's a statute and that means like a penal code section. For example, I'm just using one. Um, uh, 187 is murder, penal code. Okay, that's a big one. Well, you know, if I arrest you for a premeditated 187, then that's what I'm going to charge you with. However, if you still took somebody's life, but it was not war like you didn't want to, it was just accidental, then that's not a 187. I would be out of the statute. Um, one I think I used a couple of weeks ago was vandalism. There's quite a few different sections for vandalism because it matters how uh, much it costs. It had how much damage was done. It, they're both 594 of the penal code, but one is, um, okay, there, there's, it's complicated, but there's A's and B's and small ones, or small A's and small B's, big B's and little B's, and there's ones and twos after 594. None of that really matters for this show except for this say, I have to determine what crime has been committed because if I charge you with the wrong crime, you know, the DA is going to just dismiss it, really. I mean, it's just going to be thrown out. If I arrested you for drunk in public, but I charged you with littering, <laughs> I'm just making something off the top of my head, you know, uh, then. 647F is drunk in public in California. And if I charge, if I arrested you for that and didn't, or if I arrested you for drunk in public but didn't charge you with that, charge you with some other crime, uh, let's say defrauding an innkeeper or something to that effect, I'm just stuff hitting the top of my head, it's going to get dismissed because I don't have the right statutes. Okay. So at the, you still need to actually study the law in order to enforce the law. Well, it's the same thing with the Bible. I want to study it through those eyes. I know that um, there's a lot of radio shows and television shows and podcasts and YouTube channels that will talk about the Bible, and they're very good. Um, I learn a lot from a lot of those people. But that's, it's more like how to live your life and what the Bible tells you. Well, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not really what this one, what I want this podcast to be. I want this to be more of a, um, almost like a college course, that kind of thing, just cerebral. And I want to have some really good guests. I want to have some people to tell me what they think and all that kind of stuff. Right now we're going through the Bible. We've already gone through the Old and New Testament, um, what it is, when it was written, you know, that kind of thing, who kind of wrote it. Very cursory, but, you know, we broke up the Old Testament into three sections, the Law, the Writings, and the Prophets. We broke up the New Testament into the same things, which is the Gospels and Acts, then the Epistles, which just means letters um, from the Apostles, and then the last book of, the, of Revelation, the Apocalypse, the, the 
end times prophecy of John. And so both we broke them up. One was written between really 1500 BC till 400 BC. That's the Old Testament. And then the New Testament written between about 50, maybe 40s, late 40s, with you, uh, some of the writings of Paul, up to the writing of uh, the Revelation, which was in the 90s AD. So, you know, one was written in about a 50 year period. And the other was written over a thousand year period, more than a thousand years. Okay. But they're compiled up to 66 different books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. We went over all that stuff already. That's just a little recap. Um, I did a little more in depth on the, on the originals, but so you can watch those again if you want to. But now I'm going to move forward on things. Um, I believe in God. I believe in Christ. I believe the Bible's written by God. And I think it can be actually shown empirically. Okay? That's a position that's easy to say, a lot easier to say than to actually prove, of course. But it's what really brought me to Christ was more the um, intellectual arguments for the faith than anything else. So that's what got me there. It's kind of what's been my uh, enjoyment of study and that kind of thing over time. I know last time we talked about archaeology and the history and archaeology of everything. And this time we're going to set and move forward a little bit into a, um, an idea of science. Okay, Modern science really comes about, you could say 1300s. You, you really could. 1300s kind of brings the beginning of what we would call modern science. It took place in Europe during this time of... The, of um, changes that were going on. We got out of the Dark Ages. We're now into people like uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci and, and that kind of person who was uh, just schooled in all kinds of thoughts, all right? And that became the, the, the mode of the day. And that started this whole process that developed into what w really a guy named Francis Bacon really codified is the scientific method. And that would be that in order to come up with a, um, a scientific proof, a law, for example, you needed to have something that was observable. And after it was observable, it could be repeatable. And after it was repeatable, you could put um, different uh, variables into the system. And yet you still come up with the same conclusion. If you can do that multiple times, always observing the same thing, you can start coming up with your theory that says, hey, I think we're on to something here. And then through further experimentation, eventually you can make it be all the way to what we would call a law. Now, there was like laws of gravity before Francis Bacon, and, and that was Isaac Newton, although they're fairly, from our point of view, they're contemporary. They're, they lived a while back. But it, people have been doing this for all time, even the Greeks or even the Babylonians, um, you know, and people have been using scientific method, but it wasn't codified. It wasn't written down. It wasn't like, hey, this is the way we're going to do it. And from Bacon on till now, it's been that way. Okay, that's how science works. Now, here's the interesting thing. I was reading, I'm sorry, not reading, I was watching a video. It was a, a guy who's not a Christian. I don't mind watching people who don't agree with me. I think they come up with brilliant stuff a lot of times that makes my mind work. And so I watch a lot of people. In fact, I may watch more people that disagree with me than I do with it, agree with me when I'm watching my little uh, YouTube channels or whatever, and books when I'm reading them and uh, pamphlets and things like that. And um, this guy was 
you know, he admitted that the church had done a lot of good stuff. He said that in, in this. And that the history of the church had a lot of things that were very positive to humanity, but the church was destroyed by these early Christians. That's what he said. That was his whole point. Now, he used things like um, Copernicus and Galileo and guys like that, because they, they came up with the idea that the earth was the center, or was not the center of the universe anymore. It went from geocentric to heliocentric. And they did that through studying the stars and all that kind of stuff. And they came to the conclusion that the earth isn't the center of the universe. And they're right. They were correct. Well, the early church didn't have enough knowledge, and they said, you're wrong. Now, the Bible doesn't say that the earth's the center of the universe. Never mentions it one time. It's not anywhere mentioned. But the church believed it, at least the Roman Catholic Church did, and they then had some problems with the people that were teaching this, okay? So Galileo, for example, he goes and gets um, you know house arrested and that kind of thing. Well, he brings up all that stuff, and then he goes on through to people like Darwin and, and talks about Darwinian evolution and all that, and he's saying the church is always on the wrong side of all this, and that proves, and, and it was just the scientists that came and just attacked the church and destroyed it. That's what he said. And he didn't make an uncompelling argument. He made a pretty decent argument, except for that he only told a little portion of the story, and maybe he only knew a little portion of the story. But the fact of the matter is, is Nowhere that, well, I'm, I'm going to quote other people here because I'm, you know, not smart enough to do this on myself. But I've read many people who've said nowhere in the Bible is anything mentioned scientifically that is not true. Now, it's not a book of science, but it mentions things, quite a few things in the Bible, and the um, they're actually true statements, okay? And so it doesn't really contradict any th- scientific theory, but it completely contradicts, I'm sorry, other way around, doesn't contradict any scientific law. There is no law of science, law, the law of gravity, for example, or dynamics, uh, thermodynamics, that kind of thing. There is no such thing as that contradicting the Bible, but the Bible does contradict a lot of theory, scientific theory, when it's in the state of um, uh, just an idea. Okay, and so anyway, nonetheless, we're gonna we're gonna move on. I'm gonna talk about right now on this episode the early scientists, the the people that this guy says attacked the church and defeated it. Okay, that's what he said. And I said, well, you know, they would be interested to know that they did that because those were very strong Christians. He even talked about Copernicus, like you know, he even had the ideas of Copernicus being that, oh man, you know, he he destroyed everything and, and the church hates him to this day. That's not true. And the church doesn't hate Copernicus, quite the opposite. Copernicus loved the church, by the way, when his day, he, he was a very strong Christian. But let's let's move on. I'm going to start talking about some of these scientists that lived back then. Okay, now, like I said, we mentioned Galileo. Now, he lived 1564 to 1542. He did have a lot of problems with um, the current establishment, but he never ever said he was not a believer in, in God or Christ or even the church. He was a Roman Catholic, and he had never even said he wasn't a believer in the Roman Catholic Church, okay? But he did say that the earth was the center of, or was not the center of the universe, and he got in trouble for that. All right, but let's move on. Isaac Newton, but oh, I was just going to say, Galileo, if you'd have gone to him and said, 
well, obviously, you know, you're, you're not a believer. He would have said, what are you talking about? I am a believer in Christ. He absolutely would have laid out every reason why he was a believer in Christ, just not in the interpretation of the Roman Catholic Church of where the earth is in the universe. That's all. Okay. Now, Isaac Newton, though, we're going to go on to him because he is the big dog. Um, in the History Channel, at the turn of the, in, in, you know, this last 1900s to the 2000s, they came up with the 100 most important people who had lived over the last thousand years. And their number one guy was Isaac Newton. No one I know of that I've ever talked, I've talked about this list quite a few times to people because I loved it, love history, and it was really fun for me to, to watch that. I've not come across anybody who disagreed that Isaac Newton is the most important guy that lived in the last thousand years. His Mathematica Principia, the invention of calculus, I mean, okay, he didn't like completely just invent it, but he took everything before him and made it so in a system that um, mathematics changed, okay? He took, and there's brilliant mathematicians before him, there's not that saying that there wasn't, but it's this simple, this is what my calculus teacher told me. Before Newton, calculus didn't really exist. After Newton, it's existed ever since, and he did it without a teacher. <laughs> he didn't have a slide rule. He didn't have a book to read. He came up with calculus. Now, Newton said that calculus was how he believed physicists could figure out how God thinks. That's his statement. That's what he said, okay? Newton wrote more about religion than he ever did about science. And that was because that was his passion. Now, Newton was an interesting guy. He um, quite the rebel, and he didn't go with conventional forms, and he did not. Um, his ideas on religion that I have read would not fit in with my ideas of, of Orthodox Christianity. But he would tell you he was absolutely Christian, a Christian, a Christian, a Christian. There's no doubt that he would. He wrote more, he read that Bible, and he wrote more about it than I ever have. More than most people have, because he really believed it, okay? And so that's Isaac Newton. Now, what did he give us? He gave us the universal laws of gravity, um, calculus. <laughs> I mean, gosh, dang it, he gave us everything. He is probably the most intelligent man that has lived in the last thousand years. And, and I mean, most people would not disagree with that. They would not. His level of intelligence for what he had information to, to what he gave us before he died was incredible. And his voluminous studying, uh, writings on his studies of the Bible show you how much he believed in those. All right, now we're going to go to Kepler. Kepler is one of my favorite people of all time. 1571, 1630, that's when he lived. Um, German mathematician. He gave us the laws of planetary uh, motion. Um, he talked about, um, oh, he, uh, before him, there was tables, okay, of planetary motion. And actually, even uh, people like Copernicus believed the old law, old motion laws, or not motion laws, um, these tables, because they've been around forever. They had tables. They knew when things were going to happen. The ancient Greeks, the ancient Babylonians, the ancient Egyptians, they all studied the stars. They all studied the path of the moon and everything. They had a misunderstanding of it, there's no doubt. But they had a very clear 
um, table that they wrote on how things were going to happen because they could in, they could say, hey, an eclipse is going to happen at this time, and they were right. All right, the ancients were. Well, he revised that and he made it so it was very accurate. It's not as accurate as today, of course, but he did. He also came up with the reflective lens, um, or the, you know, so that you could look through your telescope. He he improved all that kind of stuff so he could see the stars. He was quite the man. All right, he was known as a polymath, which is that he did everything, just everything there was to do. Um, as far as in intellect at that time, all right. He actually, I think he was a doctor even. I think he was the one that would, I could be wrong on that one. I'm just doing that off my memory. But I think he actually was a medical doctor on top of all the other things that he did. He also was a, a definitely a, a, a member of his church and, a, and quite well studied in theology. Now, I'd mentioned Copernicus, but, you know, Copernicus wrote all kinds of things, even on once again, he was a what they used to call a polymath, and he wrote so many things on so many things other than even science. He wrote on economics. Yeah, he, he has an economic theory that is still accepted to this day. Gershom's, I think it's called theory, and I'm doing that off memory, so I'm not going to get too deep into it. But I mean, my point is, is he didn't just do science; he did everything, including studying his Bible. Um, this is his quote. It is my loving duty to seek the truth in all things, insofar as God has granted that to the human reason. He believed 100% when he was studying these things that he was thinking God's thoughts. That's his own quote. I'm thinking God's thoughts after he thought them. Actually, he said we. He was talking about science. Science is thinking God's thoughts after he thought them. That was his quote. All right. Now... Um, other people. Let's let's move on. I, I'm just getting. I'm gonna move on quick. All right. Robert Boyle was a guy that uh, he lived in the. I've got him down here for 1627 to 1691. So he lived his whole life in the 1600s. 17th century guy. He said that deeper understanding of science was a higher glorification of God. Now, what did he do? Well, he defined the elements. <laughs> Thanks for him. We had to study him in school. The compounds and mixtures discovered the first gas laws. They're called Boyle's laws to this day. So when you took chemistry in high school, you had to study about Robert Boyle and his work. Okay, at least you did when I was young. And But Robert Boyle was a guy who was super sold out to his faith in Christ. All right. Um, we're going to go to a guy named Volta. Uh, Volta was, he lived 1747 to 1827, so the 1700s and the 1800s, a little after Boyle, but he worked with electricity. In fact, it's called a volt because of him. You have amps and volts and all that kind of stuff. Well, volt is because of this guy. That's why we call him that. Um, now, he taught that faith was the most important to him and that he never wavered in his faith in God. At, at his deathbed, that's what he made clear to his the people. He's like, look, all the things I studied and did mathematically, all the stuff with electricity, all that thing, that's really great. But really, my faith never wavered in God, which is all I really, that's all that really matters. Now, you could say, oh, yeah, but he lived so long ago. Well, yeah, he's one of these founders of, of science that this guy's saying you know, that destroyed Christianity, destroyed the church. It made people... It, 
that's not true. These people that founded these things, they'd said they were doing it because they believed in God. All right, we're going to move on. William Thompson, also known as Lord Kelvin. I don't really know how he got that name, but he's Lord Kelvin, and he's that's his name. That's who we know him as. He lived in the 1800s, and um, he really worked on the laws of thermodynamics. He also came to true zero. He figured out that. We have uh, Kelvin. Uh, true zero is at 273.15 Celsius. Absolute zero is is zero kelvin and you'll you'll see that in science fiction movies all the time that's all his work okay he lived in scotland and he was a minister not a minister but a uh, uh, elder at the church of the free at uh, free church of scotland he spent most of his off work times helping his church that's what he did and he is the guy that um basically figured out all this thermodynamic stuff when it comes to uh temperatures and was got to understand we're gonna I'm gonna actually speak on that on the next episode uh, the laws of thermodynamics on the next episode, but they are a loss of energy just suffice it to say you know, you go from heat to cold and the whole universe is doing it and all that kind of stuff. Well, Lord Kelvin is one we get a lot of that information from. All right, now we're gonna go to this guy named J. J. Thompson, 1856 to 1940. So he's more of a contemporary. He lived more in the modern era he discovered the electron that's what he did he invented the spectrometer which we as cops use all the time that's you know so many crimes have been solved using the spectrometer i actually had no idea before the study that it went back as far as it did if you would have told me in a movie that the spectrometer was we're going to use a spectrometer way back you know before world war ii i would have said hey they didn't have that yet but they did because he invented it okay um, he's one that first, uh, the evidence of isotopes and the stable elements. Well, his family said at his eulogy that one thing he did was pray and read his Bible every day that they ever knew. I don't do that. I don't. I, I should. But I'm going to tell you right now, I don't, I'm not as good as this Thompson guy, man. I don't do that. And, um, but that's the guy that, uh, isolated the isotopes and the elements and m- invented the spectrometer. All right, let's move on. Oh, then we have Heisenberg, 1907 to 1976. Now, that guy, <laughs> the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, if you ever, if you're like me, you like, um, uh, to study or to watch Big Bang Theory, which I always did like. Well, he, they mention a few things on there. One is Heisenberg. He gets mentioned pretty regularly. Um, and the uncertainty principle. Um, Schrodinger's cat. I don't know much about Schrodinger. I'll have to do a study on Schrodinger. But they, they mention him a lot too. But anyway, Heisenberg was a guy who really had a big deal going for him. I mean, we're, we are – let me see if I can find him on my list here. Yeah. Okay. A Lutheran with deep Christian convictions, one of the primary creators of quantum mechanics, that's true, formulated the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. That's why I've written down about him. But the, the idea is that he actually took Einstein's theories, the special theory and the general theories of relativity, and he's one of the people that helped prove those. He's not the only one, but he actually helped prove those to be accurate because he was that kind of a smart guy. Okay, a lot smarter than I am. I couldn't do anything like that. But... Um, he w- he worked in quantum mechanics. We got a pretty good quote from him 
Let's see if I can find it. Um, let's see. No, no. Okay, here it is. This is from um, Heisenberg. The first gulp from the glass of natural scientists, and this is in the early 20th century, I guess, will, um, 1932, Nobel Prize winner, so it's somewhere around there probably. But the first gulp of the glass of natural scientists will turn you into an atheist. That's what he said. The winner, uh, but, but then he continues, but at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. So he says, look, when you first start studying this stuff, your professors are going to say, hey, there's no such thing as God, and you're going to believe it. But if you keep studying it, you're going to come to the same conclusion I did. Not only is there a God, but this proves there's a God. That's Heisenberg, okay? So, I mean, I'm just giving you an idea. Um, There's so many others. I am just touching the surface. I I really haven't even, um, yeah, I haven't really even come close to uh, speaking on all these people from Francis Bacon to Newton. Um, but we have, I'll, I'll just mention a couple more. Let's see if I, I know I wrote some more down. Charles Towns, he's a member of the United Church of Christ, prayed in daily, wrote books linking science and religion, believe religion more important than science. He invented the laser. That's the guy that invented the laser. We wouldn't have a laser without this guy. Well, I mean, somebody else would have probably invented it, but he's the one that did it. He established that the Milky Way was a supermassive, has a supermassive black hole at the center, which, by the way, until I read this, I didn't know we had a supermassive black hole at the center. But apparently this guy figured this out. And But this is a guy that was very devout in his faith and, his, and the world that he lived in. Um, Ernest Walton. 1903 to 1995, so very contemporary. Um, I I was in my 30s by the time this guy died. So, a devout Methodist and said science was the way to knowing more about God. Winner of the Nobel Prize in Physics after he artificially was the first person to split the atom, and that proved energy equals mass times speed of light squared. I guess by him splitting the atom. Now he didn't do it like that's Enrico Fermi, I believe. And a couple other people as time went on. Um, but he's the one that did it, I guess, on paper. You know, it's like, hey, this is the way it works. I don't know how any of that works because, you know, almost none of us do, okay? I'm not pretending that I do. But he does. And he was a devout Christian, a believer in God, and, and one that never wavered in his, real, in his faith. Um, I, I think that's enough, really. It, it just gives you the, the whole point I'm going to wrap up is this. Anybody tells you that science destroyed God, you would need to go to those original scientists and talk to them. And if you could, they would say, not only no, we're not destroying. If you went to Newton or Kepler or any of those people and said, Copernicus, I don't care who, and said, hey, you know, that's good, your work, I agree with it, it, it proves that we don't need a God. They would all say, are you nuts? That doesn't prove any of that stuff. In fact, once again, we're thinking God's thoughts after him would have been their statement. And there's a lot. I've mentioned at least two or three from the 20th century. So, you know, we're not just asking the ancient ones. And hopefully, as this show continues, we're going to have some scientists on here because I do know some scientists. There are friends of mine that are believers. 
and I got one in particular that I really want to talk to. He wrote a book one time that it mathematically proved the existence of God. Now, I did well in math. I like math. This thing was so far over my head. It was like a child. You know, I was like a kindergartner trying to do a quadratic equation. I had no idea what this. He's he's very proud of his book and he you know, he, I, hey Bill, read my book and I did and I'm like, yeah, that's over my head. It wasn't a book explaining things. This was a book of equations the size of the book, okay? He's like, and the final conclusion is there is a god. I would like to get him on this show cuz he's just that smart, you know, and and I know other people like that too. And those are the people I want to get on cuz I'm not that smart. I don't want to be misunderstood here. I'm just a normal guy. But I can think for myself, as a cop, I thought a lot, I listened to a lot of people. And I would take all that information in, and I would try and decipher it, understand it, and come to a conclusion. And sometimes I was wrong, and sometimes I was right. But anytime I was wrong, you had to admit it immediately. This is what a good cop will always do. I'm investigating a crime. I think I know that, you know, a suspect A did it. But as soon as I find enough information to prove to me that suspect A didn't do it, I need to jump off of that suspect train and get onto another one. Find out who did this, whatever crime it is. That's the way any really good investigator is going to do it anyway. You may have some information. You think, hey, this looks good and promising, but then it falls flat. Well, that's what I'm trying to do with all this information. Take it in from everyone and see how it comes out. And if you join me on this for the next few you know, shows, hopefully you'll enjoy it and we'll have a good time together. So thank you for joining me on um, Investigation Bible. And we will be back next week with a new episode.